Casey pokes his head over the ridge, comes back, confirms, and goes, "Oh, they're they're there and they're different. Like these are this is a different group of rams." And I could just see it in his face. He's so excited, and he goes, "And they're in a great spot. You know, they are in terms of wind and in terms of where we can gain elevation. Like this is good." I think that was the first moment where I really realized, "Oh." Like, we can make this happen. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Today, joining us on the Adventure Deficit Show, we have Tag Spence. Taggard is a ski racer by trade. Well, I shouldn't say by trade. By trade, he's a a first light uh, digital content. Are you marketing or digital content manager? Yeah, it it all kind of rolls together, but yeah, digital marketing manager. Right. So digital marketing manager for first light by trade, but... uh, by skill set, he was uh, he was a formerly trained ski athlete through uh, the University of Colorado, Boulder. Go, CU. Yep, go Buffs. Go Buffs. Yeah, man. <laughs> I first came across Tag on the website. He has quite a story about a sheep hunt that he recently went on, and uh, he has agreed to kind of dig into that. But first, we got to get into the goods. We got to learn a little bit about Tag. So, without further ado, Tag, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with the Adventure Deficit community. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, fun to sit down and talk about it and kind of relive the, the epic adventure and journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born? Yeah, I was born in Vail, Colorado, at the low elevation of 9,000 feet. Oh, wow. um, and then drove over the pass to Frisco, Colorado, which is just a little bit higher. Um, grew up in a, it's a small ski community. Well, it was small, bigger now, um, but surrounded by four of sort of North America's premier ski resorts, Copper Mountain, Breckenridge, Keystone, A-Basin. Both my parents grew up in the ski industry, so I worked in the ski industry while I was growing up, sorry. And so, you know, the opportunity to jump into the sport came early and took on a life, you know, it was basically what I did, you know, from my whole youth and, and through college, and that's what got me a degree, and super thankful for that. So it was a, a great place to grow up, you know, a lot of access to the outdoors. A lot of what I did, though, was, was spent on a chairlift, and, and I think that, you know, looking back, it's big part of shaped who I am today, um, the lessons that I learned and the travels that I got to do. And, you know, funny enough, definitely had a lot to do with preparing for my sheep hunt and um, gave me a great place to start from as far as, you know, men- mentally and uh, knowing how to, to take things on. So, yeah, ski racing is a big, big deal for me growing up. For sure. Um, so elementary years, were you doing anything outside of skiing? You know, I, I played everything growing up. I, I played soccer, I played baseball, um, played hockey, you know, at a young age. And then, you know, the more I got into ski racing, the more time that took up, you know, the, the more I had to stop doing a lot of those other sports that competed for the time in the season. 
And so, for example, you know, hockey, I was probably the first one to go at a young age because I needed to be on the slopes and not on the rink as much. And then baseball, because I spent a lot of my summers up in Mount Hood, you know, skiing on the glaciers up there. And and then soccer was the last one because that was great prep and great, you know, foot eye coordination for skiing. But then that started to creep into, uh, you know, early season uh, glaciers in Europe and skiing over there. So it kind of all went away one by one to where skiing was the last one. But I always tried to play everything I possibly could as long as I could. Dude, that's to me. That's fascinating. You're you're the second or third skier that I've interviewed, and uh, although you know not everybody's story is the same, there's some consistencies in the background, and it is a sport that you must be dedicated to. You know, being gone for uh, for extended periods of time, having a non-traditional high school, uh, you know, career so to speak, is uh, is kind of part of the the fabric. Would you say that's similar to yours as well? Oh my God, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I could have had a more non-traditional high school. Um, so I went to, you know, the Summit County Middle School and High School through my my junior year. And then I actually did a semester of online school, basically homeschooled to do that. Uh, and then I finished my degree in Park City, Utah at the Winter Sports School or my diploma, not degree, um, but my high school. Uh, so, you know, I moved around a lot. And meanwhile, this this time period of my life, you know, my parents were living in Idaho and I stayed in Colorado. Um, so I lived with a host family in Colorado and then I lived with a host family in Utah. So I mean, I bounced around a lot with, with ski racing. I'd go home to Idaho, which then became home, to, you know, be with my parents and my brother in the summers. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, it was full-on ski racing, it all went towards it. Wow, man. All right, so relationships, anything uh, anything that you want to touch on, like any key relationships that might have helped form you into, in your formative years? Oh, man, I would be in big trouble, and rightfully so, if I didn't acknowledge my fiancé, Casey Femling, who is just the most incredible woman, you know, so driven, so smart funny beautiful and and uh we've been together for seven years and got engaged last may right on man congratulations thank you so much yeah we're excited we're gonna get married next summer cool and uh yeah i mean the confidence that she has and you know has helped me grow as a person throughout our relationship has you know absolutely made me into you know who i am today that is so awesome is there anything that, uh, any particular event that you would focus in on and say that one key area that shaped me? Oh, man. You know, uh, it's hard to pinpoint because, you know, races, every race is a unique opportunity because you can score a result that can put you in, and kind of catapult you into the position you need to be in to make a Division One ski team. But if I like, you know, really look back and say, okay, that was the defining moment that helped me get a walk-on spot at the University of Colorado, which was a very hard team to make at the time and still is. It was um, a late-season race for us in Breckenridge, and uh, I'd kind of been struggling a little bit leading up to that, you know, that race, and uh, sort of some confidence-type things, mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember having this moment of just relaxation and and embracing it and just saying, you know, let's let's let this start to roll and, and work out as it needs to. And I had 
the best race of my season that year and good enough to what then led to the conversation with Coach Rocos at Colorado where he recruited and said, you know, we'd really like to have you. You know, it was really a training day at Breckenridge where that took place over the course of the day, multiple runs and riding the trail by yourself and thinking through things. And the only reason why I say that is because it it honestly was a very similar feeling that I, I feel like I had when I won the sheep hunt at Sheep Show and mm. took that feeling through the entire journey all the way to the Brooks Range. And I, I just, I think that that became defining because it, it really helped me understand, okay, what, what was my, my biggest challenge was myself, you know, before that. And, and not that I didn't get in my own way in college afterwards, but I think thinking back to it, you know, it gave me the opportunity to make the team, but it also gave me sort of a glimpse into that, like mental, uh, that mindset that allows me to be the most successful. Yeah. And then, uh, Another thing that shaped my life is um, lost a, a very close friend um, to a climbing accident on the Maroon Bells outside of Aspen um, just before my junior year. Um, and then was elected team captain my junior year along with another um, great friend of mine, Katie Hartman. And um, we, as a team and a unit, proceeded to, to win the national championship following Spencer's death. And that was a, a pretty emotional thing for everyone uh, and to accomplish something for him and then uh, finished off my my senior year uh, as a letterman so lettered four years at CU and then was fortunate to transition into the assistant coaching role for two years which was the best way to um, sort of transition out of uh, ski racing from a competitive level and, and then into you know my career and the rest of my life yeah wow dude there's some heavy stuff in there so spencer was a really close friend you lost him in a in a skiing accident or a climbing accident i'm sorry climb a climbing accident um yeah spencer nelson um yeah he's a really great guy um we lost him too young but you know he's doing what he loved and and all we can do is do what we love for the rest of our lives wow man um, awesome. So you had some great stuff go down. I mean, it sounded like you had some uh, some early immaturity uh, rust to knock off, so to speak, and uh, got that kind of ironed out. By sophomore year, you were showing uh, some improvement, and by the, by the time you were a senior, you were already leading uh, the team as their captain and uh, progressed into an uh, assistant coaching role. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, and then we we actually won a national championship my first year as assistant coach. So, dude, that's that awesome. That was a lot of fun. That's it really cool. rounded the whole thing out. Um, then you really leave being a buff for life, and uh, <laughs> you're a part of a family. That's it's pretty great, neat. You know? Now, from uh, from CU buff life to uh, to first light. Mm-hmm. How, walk me there. How how'd that go down? Um, my first job after coaching was a uh, sales analyst for a supplement company in Denver called Muscle Farm. Um, so I went from probably spending two hours a day on a chairlift to two hours a day commuting back and forth between Boulder and Commerce City. That was a pretty big, pretty big different uh, change of lifestyle for me. How long were you with them? Uh, a year. Okay. And transitioned from there to where? Um, a media agency, digital media agency in Boulder. Okay. 
And I was, yep, I was there for a year as well. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, like, the reason why I was only there for a year is Casey and I had set a goal of moving back to Sun Valley, and we both kind of committed that as soon as we were able to do that, we're going to jump at it. Mm-hmm. And that leads to then I um, came to catch him, and I started working for Club Ride, I'm primarily mountain biking apparel brand. As the marketing manager there for two years, right and then uh, the job opened up at First Light, um, and I jumped on it. You know, never had the opportunity growing up to get into hunting. I'd always been interested in it. It always was something that intrigued me, and uh, this looked like an awesome opportunity with a company that was growing and and doing a lot of what I perceived to be really cool things in their industry and I've been keeping an eye on them so I was super lucky to get the job and knew right away that there's going to be a big learning curve with hunting which I was excited for I'll admit today that I thought that learning curve was going to be a little flatter Um, I think uh, in my mind I was excited to get into some upland hunting some duck hunting and then start working into rifle and big game maybe you know as I moved into it a year in or so but all that went out the window uh, quickly when we were at Sheep Show in Reno yeah tell us a little bit about that yeah so um, I'd been with First Light for about a month we were starting our crazy trade show circuit that we do which is a ton of fun you get to meet so many people and actually I was thankful at the time to, to get to go right away because it was an awesome introduction to the brand and to the industry and I mean what better way to learn than, than to go to those shows and and see what it's all about and so uh, Reno is our second show of the season and uh, you know my head's spinning I'm trying to figure out you know everything that's going on and, and understand the landscape and, and then uh here we go walking into the less than one club drawing and I'm walking in with Kenton Carruth, one of our, our co-founders and owners. Mm-hmm. And I go, Kenton, like, help me understand more. You know, what's this, what is this? I keep what's the big deal, them, right? Know. Yeah. What are we giving away? What is someone going to win? You know? And, uh, you know, cause all day everyone had been joking with me. Like, yeah, you're going to win. You're going to win this doll sheep hunt. And I'm like, cool. Like, uh, you know, we're joking about it, but trying to still wrap my mind around it. Kenton goes, you know, whoever wins this hunt is going to change their life. And I go, whoa. Okay. That's like, my, you've got my attention. You know, and Kenton says something like that. Like that, that carries a lot of weight. So I went into it with eyes wide open. And uh, Cal won a hunt. I go, this is, this is great. This is perfect for the brand. Makes my job easier. This is perfect. A lot of excitement. And uh, they go back up to redraw the doll sheep hunt in the Brooks Range because uh, Zach Higgins, who had won it, was also from Idaho, a lot of Idaho ties, came forward and admitted that he had, so he didn't hear what the hunt was for. He thought it was for the less less than one club international, which you, you may have harvested a North American sheep um, and still be eligible for. But this was just one of the normal less than one club drawings. So he came forward and said, hey, you guys got to redraw this because I've harvested a ram prior and shouldn't be eligible. So then he got to pick the winner, picked my name. They said my name and immediately everything. But basically, in my memory, goes black from there because I just got so excited. I mean, you can't not, you know, the 
the atmosphere is it's unbelievable in there when they're calling that out and having heard that from Kenton early earlier in the day from that moment like I was committed you yeah. know I walked off that stage and it was like okay what do we got to do <laughs> whoa okay and that's I mean flood of emotions right you had already said earlier on you gave us a little snippet of a similar time in your life where everything changed and you knew it was going to be a long course before uh, you fully understood the implications of what just went down but you basically uh, had that happen uh during a pretty cavalier ski run in uh, in your pre-college days right Right, yeah, exactly. And here this is a little bit of a bigger setting um, yeah. with quite a few more people. But, yeah, it was it was crazy. The shock on, on my face, I think, tells it. And then there's <laughs> photos of, you know, all of us personally teamed together, and we're just like, whoa, we can't believe this actually happened. Like, <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, dude, I think that's so cool. So... Uh, one of your uh, co-workers, Ryan Callahan, I saw on uh, one of the short videos, uh, and it's a quote that just won't go away. It's a perfect Cal quote where he said, this is akin to being in the bottom of the seventh in the World Series and snagging the bat boy and going, we really need you to, to, to clock one home here. Yeah. Well, and the best part about that is, is I walk off the stage and – they're taking all the winner's photos and that's he put his arm around me and said that giving me a hard time <laughs> i go okay <laughs> yeah so uh, the, the adventure deficit community is built around all disciplines of outdoor recreation hunters are, are part of that but for the folks who don't know what sheep hunting is all about Tell us a little bit about some of the the traditions that are uh, that are embedded. Some of the the awesome culture that uh, that sheep hunting is steeped in. Um, just talk to us a little bit about that. Oh man, I mean, you can't walk into sheep show and not be like, overwhelmed by it right away. I mean, people who sheep hunt, it becomes ingrained in them. It is such a test of will and um, from both a physical and mental standpoint. And just, it's, you're so lucky to get to do it that for the rest of your life, it really just becomes a part of you. And I think that that passion, that tradition is what shows through from the Wild Sheep Foundation at the Lesson One Club, um, at Sheep Show, and throughout the community. These, these, these animals live at the top of some of the gnarliest terrain and to put yourself through what it takes to, to harvest one of them changes you. Mm. So, you know, in a nutshell, you walk away from it and well, your first thought is how do I go back? Right. <laughs> no matter what. Um, you mean after, you know, and then, right? And then after that, it's, it, it really, I think, uh, helps you, helps you grow through that whole process of getting there. Cool. Um, not to mention, it's it's quite a spendy ordeal. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, with the supply and demand, and, and um, being the top of the top of North American big game hunting, um, it is hard. It's uh, and that's what the lesson one club is all about: is giving hunters like me the opportunity to jump into it without that, you know, the cost. And that's a really, really cool thing. I can't say enough, you know, how much everyone should put in and be a member of the Lesson One Club because you can win it, and uh, it, it's the coolest thing ever. Wow, dude! I'm 
yeah, I didn't even I didn't even pick up on that part. I thought the less than one club was just meant I, I haven't killed a sheep yet because I saw that on your on your short video where they crossed that off on your shirt. And it does. And that is so you are a member of the less than one club when you have not harvested uh, oh, I got a you. sheep or a ram before. I got you. But you can so you you can become that's what qualifies you to become a member um and it's you know the best club to be kicked out of okay uh but you know you you just throw down a couple bucks and become a member and then you can you can uh you can win a sheep hunt that's awesome all right man break us into the adventure so once you win this thing and the initial shock starts to transition into into more or less action what tools did you already have and, and what tools did you need to uh, to sharpen? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, from like a physical conditioning standpoint, I had a really strong platform to go off of. And so ramping that up again was a ton of fun. And um, to have a goal to work towards, you know, from a mental standpoint, that was big. And, uh, and I didn't realize how much I'd missed that since retiring from ski racing. And I really enjoyed it. And so anyway, so that was a, a big foundation block, right? And then shooting. I mean, shooting was, I had done my hunter safety the fall before and had next to no shooting experience. So I was fortunate to be surrounded by everyone here at First Light. And we started from just the very, the very basics. What are the components of a rifle? Then working my way to dry firing on the living room floor uh, and just working on a real slow trigger pull and then building into a 20 fire, you know, shooting a 22 at 30 yards, shooting out as many rounds as I could. And then a 17. And then, uh, and, and for those not familiar with that, you know, is building up in caliber and, and, and power and in kick and really just gaining confidence along the way, which was a cool way to do it. And I really, really enjoyed that all the way to shooting a 300 wind mag, which is sort of your all around Western hunting classic rifle, do it all, you know, sure. and that's what I took. Cool. So there's a high level of dedication similar to what you were doing in, in your, in your skiing years. Um, how much time did you have to train? When was the, the tag drawing and then no pun intended. And then, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you've heard a lot of that, right? Yeah, it was in January. I can't I think it was maybe January 18th in there. Approximately, I have to look at the calendar on that one. And then I left um, for Alaska on August 15th. That date, I definitely know. Yeah, so, you know, give or take. Eight months. Seven, yeah. yeah, seven, eight months. Okay. What did the trip out there look like? Did you just take a commercial airliner to, to Anchorage or what? Yeah, if only it was that easy to oh, commercial airliner all the way through, that'd be great. But we actually, so we flew from uh, Sun Valley to Fairbanks, stay the night in Fairbanks by my doll sheep tag, which was a lot of fun. And then flew uh, from there to Coldfoot, which is a small town on the you know, Dalton Highway. Uh, and then from there, took a, a flight into base camp. Um, which was where? Oh, uh, the Brooks Range, you know, is in the northern portion above the Arctic Circle of Alaska. You get in there and you feel like you're on another planet. I mean, it's just so unimpacted uh, from, you know, any humans or anything. And you just, you're really in raw country and it's, it's so cool. Wow. 
so you went with an outfitter. Obviously, there was a there was somebody who who was kind of leading the charge, right? Oh yeah, Jim Kujewski, who um, has Alaska hunting expeditions. The guy, he's unbelievable. Um, their outfit is really, really cool. So I was in great hands. Really, just kind of settled in and relaxed and enjoyed it. <laughs> mm. Walk us through the details uh, that that kind of comprise the first couple of days of your hunt. Yeah, you know. I was antsy. I was ready to go. I was excited. Um, and I think the first thing I realized is that in that country, you know, you're not in control. <laughs> um, whether it's mother nature's in control, your horse is in control, the guide, you know, whatever it might be, you need to just be patient and remain optimistic. And so, you know, we maybe had a little bit of a later start on the first day, just because of the amount of time and work it takes to get the horses ready. Um, we rode horseback to the first bike camp and that was fun i mean once you get on those horses and you're taking in the country by by horseback and crossing rivers and it's just beautiful um got to that first spot and um started hiking and it was cool because you know my expectations of the day were already surpassed i expected the first day to just be traveling basically and i was like wow we get to we get to hike i haven't hiked in a week so i've been trying to get in here and so that was amazing to get up high we encountered fog and it's funny casey barton who is my guide and fellow idaho and great guy was uh saying from the early get-go that day oh man you know clouds are pretty low it's a little foggy today and it's like oh you know, whatever you know i was ski racing we know It'd always start out foggy in Big Mountain, Montana, and we'd race downhill. <laughs> uh, so I never really let it sink in. We get up to the fog layer, and he's like, no, we got to sit here. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, we ended up sitting there for six hours, and I was like, whoa, okay. This still isn't so bad, because this is still better than what I thought. You know, I didn't know we were even going to get to hunt today. Um, ended up hanging out there. It was beautiful. I mean, I think a lot of people would maybe be antsy or frustrated there. I just started realizing that how many opportunities am I going to get to sit on a ridge in the Brooks Range? You know, who cares what I'm going after? Just take that in and enjoy that moment. And I, I'm very thankful that I did that because, you know, then we the fog layer lifted and we moved on and uh, we were able to bump into a group of rams. And that was so cool. as blown away watching them for the first time um it was three young rams and uh, one maybe mature ram but they were just too far away and uh, we couldn't quite age them either and you know we had established my shooting range and comfort zone before the hunt and uh made the decision to back out of that and i'm happy that we did um you know just because of what transpires later on but you know you don't know that in the moment and uh I wasn't exactly expecting to have to think about those things so early on. I mean, I didn't even know I was going to be hunting that day. I thought we'd just be traveling again. So I think that, to me, I remember walking back down uh, the ridgeline back to camp, and I had lost track of time. I probably thought it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It was 9 o'clock at night. And uh, I was like, whoa, hunting is cool. You know, you just really are able to let go and embrace the situation and, and try to make the most of it. And 
that was a feeling I, I guess I didn't know I was going to you know, feel that day or, or even in the hunt itself. Um, but I really took that away from it and just felt optimistic. You know, we knew where a group of Rams were, we had camp set up and we we're going to get to go back and hunt the next day. So mm. life was, life was good going to bed at midnight that night <laughs> under, under the sun, basically, you know, still kind of light out. All right. So, uh, you go to bed that night kind of feeling like, all right, I'm, I'm still okay. But if there's a wrestling match going on, it's, it's totally the, the 450, which is just a, a nick outside of your, your designated range. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think at that point, you know, you're on day one of an eight day hunt. You realize there's a lot of time left. You, you've got the advantage because you know where the sheep are and they don't know where you are. So, Going to bed felt good that night. I was excited. Um, and we woke up the next morning, and we had decided to move camp a little ways. And uh, we actually planned on moving it farther uh, than uh, where we ended up setting up the next night's camp. Part of that was the horses really didn't want to go through a bog. They just decided, nope, we're not doing it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you know, they, were, they weren't into it, and uh, we weren't going to fight it anymore, and so we just said, fine, this is this will be our spot. <laughs> and uh, so we set back up camp, tied up the horses, and, and started hiking again to go find those ramps. And um, we got maybe a third of about a thousand feet up the mountain and saw him on the ridge where we'd see, last seen him the night before and we, we drop quick and get our binos out turn around and look up to Glossom and they're gone I was like whoa these things saw us from I don't know a mile away at least like serious we, we were 2500 below them and uh, that was kind of a we're playing a different game here type feeling. I think that was the first time I was like, whoa, you know, they're bedded down. They were looking down. That's where their prey comes from for those that, you know, as far as how doll sheep work, they're they're at the top because their prey comes from below. So their focus is down there. Um, And so the best way to hunt sheep is to get above them. So, we, you know, had a little bit of frustration there, like, a, whoa, hopefully we didn't push them too far. We had all the leverage, hopefully we still have it. Yeah. Um, keep climbing on and uh, get up to that ridge where we'd last seen them and poke our heads over and Casey comes back. It's like, oh, they're there. And I climb up and I look over the ridge and I come back and go, is that the same group of rams? He goes, yeah, I go, man, maybe they're closer. They just look bigger. And last night, you know, last night there's three young rams and one that was right on the edge of being eight and legal. And we start making a stalk on them around the ridge. And Casey pokes his head over the ridge, comes back, confirms and goes, oh, they're, they're there and they're different. Like these are, this is a different group of rams. And I could just see it in his face. He's so excited. And he goes, and they're in a great spot. You know, they are in terms of wind and in terms of where we can gain elevation, like, this is good. I think that was the first moment where I really realized, oh, like, we can make this happen. And not to go all the way back to ski racing, but it was that same sort of feeling that I had in the race that helped me make the University of Colorado ski team. It was like, oh, I can do this, and mm-hmm. we're good. So we made a stock around 
the ridge lines to stay out of view. Um, wind was in our favor the whole time, and I guess for those who, who don't hunt or don't understand, if you if the wind is blowing towards the animal and they get a scent of you, you can bump them out of that country and they'll they'll get out of there quick. So wind was blowing towards us, so that that wasn't an issue. And we were able to, to make a good stock on them and get in a great position to where they uh, didn't know where we were. We were able to age them and see that uh, four out of what turned out to be six rams were legal. Legal? And just just walk legal. us through that real quick, um, Tag. So a legal ram has got to be eight years old. Does that have to be a full curl or... Yeah, so it's actually it's kind of, it's an or statement. So it's either needs to be eight years old, which the way that you do that is you age the rings on their horns, um, which is what the guide you know their responsibility really is to make sure you harvest that legal ram. Um, your other way of having a legal ram is if it's curl full curl um, or beyond, and then the other way is if it's broomed on both sides. And what that is is if it's the lamb tips have broken off of that horn, um, they'll, they'll do that once it starts impeding their eyesight or by fighting or what have you. And then that's also a legal ram. Okay. So four of those six and maybe five, uh, we weren't sure on one, definitely made that in, in one way or another. Made the cut. So mm-hmm. cool. All right. So you picked one that that you thought looked good at that point right it was just a matter of going all right what one what one's going to present me a shot and which one do i want to take is that is that accurate <laughs> i wish it was that easy at the time we, we definitely picked out a shooter but again here we are at 450 yards it's like this number <laughs> and uh we couldn't get closer i mean they were in a position where we would have been totally exposed to try to get closer to them. And so then you're like, oh, my gosh, like you're looking at these rams, which was a lot of fun to sit there and watch and uh, figuring out which one was the shooter. And But again, here's this ram that's just outside of your, you know, what you've established is your, your range and what you're comfortable at shooting at. So tough. Oh, my gosh, man. Um and, you know, I believe in signs and things like that that kind of happen. And we're sitting on that ridge, and Casey and I are talking, and he was very clear from the get-go, hey, I want you to shoot with what you're comfortable with. The last thing we want is an injured animal. But I'm still going back and forth in my head, and I get two leg cramps. And I'm like, I mean, we climb 3,500 vert, but I don't cramp up too much. And I go, oh, that's like, that's a sign that's, hey, buddy, just just sit. Like, just stay put. This is all going to work out. And uh, we kept talking about it, and there's a field in between us and the Rams, and there's another field on the other side of them. And I have a 50-50 shot. They're going to get up, and they're going to feed. Either they're going to feed the other direction, or, you know, hopefully they stay in this area. We'll come back tomorrow, or they're going to walk right into us. And if they walk right into us, this is the plan. So we waited for, I think, about three hours at that point which again feels like, you know, 45 minutes at the most. You're just excited and enjoy watching them and everything. And one gets up and sure enough, starts walking right at us. And then the others follow. And the next thing you know, you've got six rams, four of which are legal, just walking at you in a line, feeding into your into your comfort zone. No way. That's so yeah. cool. So you, you waited it out for another three hours? Yep. Man, 
to hear you say it, it felt like 45 minutes. That I would think just the opposite, that that would feel like like three days. Yeah, it didn't. It really didn't. It went so fast. I can't, I don't know. I, it didn't feel like a long time. I never felt like, oh, my gosh, like, are we still here? No, I mean, it was just like snap of the fingers. You're, next thing you know, you're in the game, and they're coming, coming right at you. And that was cool. And that was another moment that I, I was happy. I sat there, gathered myself, and felt extremely calm. <laughs> I watched the episodes, and you know, we did a whole series at firstlight.com slash tag. And I watched it for the first time, and I'm breathing. It's like a grizzly bear's up on that ridge. And I'm like, whoa, I thought I was calm. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that moment when you pull the trigger, you feel calm. Obviously, the culmination of everything you've put into it to that point is going to come together from an emotional standpoint. And the fact that you're trying to harvest a big game animal for the first time in your life. So emotions do take over a little bit there, but I was proud of myself for keeping a lot of it at bay and going through my checks and the clicks you know on my scope for those who are familiar with it like you know there's uh, you can have a turret on your scope for helping you with your distances mm-hmm. um and i remembered a lot of those steps and uh, the one that you know I, i'm looking but i've thought a lot about what why did i hit that animal back because my first shot was a little back on it in the gut which you want to be in the vitals for a good clean ethical kill for those not familiar with hunting as much and I think because I was so confident in what I was going to be able to do, I never really cranked up the magnification on my scope, which then, on the plus side, helped me re-target the animal quickly. And that second shot, um, which I chambered right away and was ready to go, went through my motions like I'd been practicing, went right through the, the two lungs and dropped the animal. So, you know, that was that moment that, I guess you just can't put into words as far as realizing what you've accomplished. And, um, it was really cool. Yeah. That moment where you, you can actually watch that go down again at the, at the link that tag just gave. But, um, that's where I noticed you started breathing heavy and that's where it seems like the, the clock just starts to ramp up and you start to become hyper aware of everything that you've been suppressing. It was a hundred percent. There's a lot of thoughts that that go through your mind at that moment. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was something I'll never forget. Mm. Um, that feeling, even though it was seeing it for the first time, seeing how hard I'm breathing really helped me understand it. Still putting myself in that moment was, was out of body. Like just really, really cool. For sure. And you, and then you, you, you know, or mix that with the emotions you feel from taking an animal's life for the first time. That's hard too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and walking down to that animal, and you're you're thankful, you're appreciative of the harvest and everything, but um, still, still settles in there as well. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So tell us, uh, how do you get a critter like that off the mountain? And were you the first one on the scene? Did you walk up first, or did Casey get ahead of you? Oh, man, we, we, we walked 
fucked up together uh, as far as I can remember it. Again, this is a little bit of like that. I just walked off the stage at Sheep Show and what just happened. Uh, yeah. Type feeling, so I could be getting things in my head mixed up. You know, what I really remember is walking up with him, looking that ram in the eyes and saying thank you. Um, and uh, then I, you know, I was really excited to, I'd never quartered an animal. Um, and so to learn from Casey on that was great and to process it and to get all of the meat packed out, um, save every bit that we possibly could. It was awesome. You know, taking everything off and then the pain cave just ensues <laughs> which is the best pain of your life you know, packing that ram off the mountain um but i was in it for sure and i'm casey jokes later he goes i could tell you wanted to, to feel some pain so i let you go for it but um i took the the full skull and horns which saw the jaw on it we hadn't really fleshed the skull that much um, just it was getting late and uh, full cape um, and just the animal had actually fallen sort of in a spring so it was soaked in water which definitely added some weight yeah. um, two quarters plus all of my gear and I guess for a lot of hunters they're like oh, oh my word dude whatever but for me I mean that was that was a big pack out for my first day, you know first big game pack out and we're going 3500 vert off the mountain and it's getting dark and I felt that. I really felt that. Um, it, looking back on it, again, it's the best pain I felt because I was so happy and elated to have accomplished the goal, but it challenged me. Um, we got back to camp and in the dark, and it was late, and going to bed that night, was it was the best feeling. Hmm. You know, you're just so thankful um, that it went the way that it did. Couldn't have, couldn't have ever expected it to... In, on day two the hunt you know um but god i wouldn't trade it for anything because then you know we, we spent the next day travel all day traveling back to camp and then i got to spend an entire day with casey butchering the animal and i had flown up with uh, my soft shell yeti and uh was able to get all the meat taken care of and in ziplocs and frozen to fly home so i flew home with 60 pounds of, of doll sheep meat nice um which we've just been absolutely loving it is have you ever had it no i've never no never had it. oh my gosh i've never had any any wild sheep and it is amazing have it you is had so, other, so good so have you had other wild game so to fun. compare it to you know, I haven't. Um, just being so new to it, I'd had some elk before. I'd had um, some venison. I had never had moose. Uh, I've never had moose. So I, not a ton. Uh, so I guess I'm comparing it to, you know, the steak and everything that I've grown up eating. Mm. And it was just blew me away at how tender that animal could be living where it lives, you know, and um, just so good. Wow. Where'd you start? What was your first bite? Backstrap. Yeah. Started with backstrap. Did you do that um, in camp? What's that? Did you do that in camp? In uh, um, base camp. Um, and then the ribs. We cooked the ribs over the fire. And that is a tradition with sheep hunting that every sheep hunter has to do. Um, Arlen, who's in the videos, is who told, you know, told me about doing that. And uh, I went into it going, you know, this is more about, you know, kind of celebrating the hunt and, and that's what's going to be so special about cooking these ribs over the fire and I left with like those were the best ribs I've ever eaten 
<laughs> that was mind blowing. So that was really really cool. Oh, that is cool. So that's that's customary actually to eat the ribs. Yep. So you cut the ribs out, but leave the bones in. Um, just use a bone saw, get those ribs out of there, and then uh, throw those over the fire. And oh my gosh, <laughs> so good. Mouth I'd give anything to try those again. <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't. Can't replicate it unless you get another sheep punt. Yep, well, uh, I guess I'll now have to join the, everybody else with putting in for the rest of my life. <laughs> Do my time. <laughs> Dude, that is, that is cool. That's really cool. All right, so part of, uh, part of what we do at AD is uh, we finish up every adventure story with an all-encompassing life lesson. And sometimes this can be, you know, guys have a tendency to wax poetic here, but uh, we try and make it as condensed and simple as possible, yet profound and really unique to kind of your experience. So um, if you had one sentence to uh, to kind of wrap up what this life lesson is is kind of centered around where would you where would you go with that well you know i say have the confidence in yourself to take on a challenge with the understanding that you're not an expert to begin with Mm -hmm. um and embrace that embrace the uncertainty that comes with it and just allow it you know to make you better uh, throughout it and know that it's all, you know, be optimistic and that it's going to work out because then I think you really do feel alive in the moment and you'll remember how much it meant to you even more so at the end of the day than focusing on how you were supposed to do it from the get-go or the end outcome from the get-go. Enjoy it and the rest will take care of itself so good that's great tag and i think that that carries over to a to a broader context that's not uh yeah that's certainly not stuck in in the hunting realm i agree i hope i can keep that focus and work and relationships uh you know you try to carry that through your life so awesome well thanks uh, you ready for some quick, uh, quick one-offs? Sure. All right. So first light, um, pioneers in marketing and, and manufacturing high quality Merino wool, which is kind of the old school, uh, old school hunter trapper, uh, material that, that the old timers kind of showed us the ropes with and it's, and it's there for a reason. Cause it's just darn good at insulating and it's, it's nature's uh, best insulator, even when wet, right? It is really, I mean, miracle. It's fabric. Cool. I mean, it keeps you warm when you're cool and cools you off when you're hot. It is unbelievable. I've never been as comfortable as I've been with wool. It also, I mean, you, from a hunter's standpoint, it's never going to stink. It doesn't hold bacteria like synthetics um so you can wear it on a brooks range trip for 10 days on end and not not worry about it smelling and it is it's deadly silent so it's um it's amazing yeah and yeah we, we make the best wool that's cool uh, we have the world's best that's for sure so when you say that i mean is that is that part of the kind of part of the dna of the company you guys have the best wool yes i mean we yeah we we're proud of, of what we source and, and um, take pride in it, and it is the best. And we're always pushing pushing the boundaries. You know, this year we came out with 
two new um, proprietary blends that are unbelievable. Um, one that's a, a 65% wool, 35, or 65% wool, 35% uh, smart active fiber nylon from moisture wicking and quick dry, and then has a little spandex in there for durability. And it's unreal. I mean, it still doesn't stink. You don't lose those inherent properties of wool from that nylon being in there. You gain those, you know, because the one drawback of wool is that it, it doesn't dry fast. So you get that from the nylon as well as some additional durability. And we did the 95% wool, 5% spandex for our Merino X. And again, that spandex gives you durability uh, longer, you know, that the one drawback from wool also is that durability aspect. So... At first light, we're always just pushing the boundaries as far as, you know, making the, the best performing apparel possible. Dude, Help people get it done. That is, that's crazy timing. I promise this is not a shtick. This was not planned, but uh, I was one of your early customers, so I had, like, some of the... Uh, oh, I, cool. I can't remember. What, I don't even remember what name. Pan, was it the Kanab? Did you have a Kanab? Yeah, pan? yep. Absolutely, two versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I was at First Light, but um, okay. looking at our product line, yeah, and now that's the Obsidian. Okay, and then I had uh, well. the Chama top. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was like I was like, holy smokes, this is going to change the game. This is awesome. I can stay, I can stay warm and dry, and I can use this as a layering piece. But it's not when I say warm and dry. Like obviously, that Chama is going to drink water. So it wasn't. It wasn't until this uh, this past season that I actually used you guys for everything because I always used an external shell layer over top of that Chama in order to kind of, you know, break break the elements. But you guys have an awesome soft shell system, and I don't even know what it's called, but I've got it, and I wore it this morning in 48-degree Michigan bow, bow season oh, weather. Oh, perfect. That's exactly what There you go. That's and what it's li- this was born for. What is that called? What did I the buy? Catalyst, the catalyst system. That's it. Yes. Yeah. You guys. Yeah, that's a two-layer soft shell, and then it actually has a fleece lining with our, our 37.5 active particle. So all of our outerwear and insulation is going to use this breathable, moisture-wicking active particle, 37.5 technology, and, and that thing is that's a game-changer right there, that catalyst system. Yeah, dude, and I'm just stoked on the patterns. It's it's cool. It looks great with, uh, with early autumn foliage. I, yeah, I was just really stoked on it. And then I actually, when you said Merino X, that I believe is the, the technology in the, the undershirt that I bought from you guys, which is like a uh, yep. same same uh, camo pattern, but slightly lighter weight than that Chama. So I use it as like a base layer, mid layer, outer layer type thing. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is uh, we build it so you can layer based on season you know, based on how active your, your hunt is. So other things, and I swear to you, that was not a shtick. I, that is just, <laughs> it's kind of, cause you and I were scheduled to go last week, right? I mean, none of this was yeah, really, that's right. Really planned, that's so. true before. Yeah. But just happenstance. Anyways. Um, the second question that I've got for you, 300 wind mag. Um, are you sold on that? Yes. I mean, I love that rifle. Uh, been a hunt general deer um, this fall. Plan on using that. It's a, it's a, it's just an awesome all-around caliber. And I think for me, you know, I need to, you know, it's it's easy with hunting. God, there's so you can get caught up in 
shooting a 6.5, shooting a 300, you know, go down the line. Um, and everyone will have different opinions. And at the end of the day, you know, you just got to go with what works for you. And that's proven to work. And I want to just learn more about hunting and I've got a lot of room to grow there. So stick with something that, I, that I'm comfortable with until it doesn't work. <laughs> yep. If well, I was on it, you know, for whitetail, I'd, I'd probably use something different, but um, we don't have any whitetail here. I love the 300 wind just because it's kind of an iconic Western cartridge. I think there's uh, there's just something that's kind of novel about about. Yeah, I think about, I'd be lying if I didn't uh, say that wasn't part of it. Yeah, it's kind of the OG Western, you know, caliber. That and exactly. I guess the, the 270 would be the, the precursor, but... This, this was kind of the intro to the magnum mania that we see in in western culture today and yeah it's it's there for a reason man it's it's a darn good cartridge it is so with uh with a couple minutes left i want to talk about um some content that you've been exposed to do you have uh do you have any favorites that you want to share with us books dvds cds um anything podcasts oh yeah um I mean, everything from the Meat Eater crew is amazing. Uh, uh, Ranella's book, Big Game Hunting Book, is something that I used a lot leading up to the hunt. That's an awesome resource you can really dive into and uh, learn about any bit North American big game animal that you're planning to hunt, gain a better understanding, and then it takes you through the whole process. Um, Tony Ross's book, Hunting Alaskan Sheep, that was a great one for me uh, to, to start understanding what it takes and more about the animal itself. Um, and, you know, I think aside from that, it was a lot of resources and people and those people around me and, and spending time picking their brain. Those, but those are, the, those are the ones that really stick out. Awesome. All right. Finally, um, I talked a little bit about you guys' gear. Obviously, there's uh, there's probably a bias built up on your end, so I'm guessing you're going to go in a specific direction with this, but uh, I always ask my guests, one piece of gear that you knew you couldn't leave home without and you're glad you took with you? Oh, my rifle. <laughs> oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have a rifle you can trust. Got to be honest, that was my, you know, traveling up there. It's like, okay, where are my rounds and where's my rifle? I mean, it's kind of like, actually, I take that back. Boots, too. I mean, those, I mean, you can't say enough how important it is to have the right boots. But I feel like I'm not, you know, I don't know, coming down to it, what it was really on my mind as far as making sure it didn't get lost. I was like, oh my God, I really hope, because I had boots on my feet. It's like, I hope that rifle's okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Hey, Tag, that uh, that sums up all the questions. I don't mean to, uh, I don't need to take more of your time. You've provided us with some awesome information in the last hour and a half, man. We really appreciate you spending some time with the Adventure Deficit crew. If you guys want more information on Tag, First Light, or any of the stuff that he's uh, he's mentioned, Tag, you got some resources for us as far as uh, websites? Yeah, check us out, uh, firstlight.com, um, and then you can check the whole series out at firstlight.com slash tag. Awesome. And if you guys have any questions about the show, um, I'm going to post some show notes uh, here in the next couple of days. Those will be available at adventuredeficit.com.